welcome to the Culinary Saiji Key Podcast. My name is Allison Whipple, and twice a month I'll bring you a conversation with a fellow haiku practitioner about the way that food and the seasons show up in their haiku practice. Visit www.culinarysaijiki.com to listen to the podcast, read long-form essays on these topics, and sign up to join the podcast conversation. You can also support the project at buymeacoffee.com slash culinarysaijiki. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode nine. It is a chilly night in St. Louis. Uh, We uh, might get a freeze tonight, according to the weather report. And after walking my dog, I have to say I believe them. I have even gone so far as to turn my heat on. Uh, First off, a big thank you to Lorraine for buying me three coffees. I am making some serious progress on getting my web hosting covered for the year. If you want to contribute, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash culinary saijiki and contribute whatever you want. Every little bit helps. And uh, this week's guest, M.A. Dubs, has shared uh, some recipes for the uh, supporter bonus that's going to go out later this week. So be on the lookout for that if you are a supporter. And if you're not yet, hey, the time is now. Anyway, I was uh, super excited that she shared those, and I think you will enjoy them as well. And if you can't support the podcast, just listen. Uh, I do this for fun. Uh, I really, I just enjoy making this show, so (laughs) whatever you want to do. If you do want to find other ways to support, sharing it out on social media um, or wherever you share your podcasts is appreciated. Uh, Over on the blog, the most recent post is about dining together, uh, food, uh, haiku that explore the various aspects of food and togetherness in in pretty dynamic ways. All right, so as I mentioned, M.A. Dubs is my guest today, another Midwestern poet. And I just loved our conversation. We recorded online. It is still definitely super echoey in my uh, house. Uh, Packing is going slowly. Uh, But uh, we did record and uh, I actually recorded two shows in one day. It was super fun. Uh, But I loved our conversation. Uh, And we talked about haiku, but I really appreciated the way that uh, our conversation veered off into other topics in a really organic way. Uh, I don't script these episodes very much, and really the way this conversation uh, turned out, uh, that's part of the reason for it, because I don't think it would have evolved the same way if I'd carefully written out all of my questions. So thanks to MA for coming on. I hope you enjoy this talk as much as I recorded. I enjoyed recording it. M.A. Dubs is an award-winning Mexican-American and LGBT poet from Indiana. Dubs has been writing and publishing her writing for over a decade and has been featured in literary journals, anthologies, and zines around the world. This year, she served as a judge for Indiana's Poetry Out Loud state competition and performed several readings across her state. When not writing, Dubs enjoys gardening, hiking, running, mushroom foraging, or spending time with her twin girls, husband, and pets. So... Welcome to the show. 
Thank you very much. And you can probably hear my pet click clacking around on my hardwood floors. So <laughs> uh, she was, I, I was reading your bio and I'm like, oh, I hear, I hear her coming in uh, strong from the mic. So that's. <laughs> You're okay. I kicked everybody out of the house. I was like, you must, you must all get out. I need a quiet house. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if I uh, took her upstairs, you would actually just hear her go and clomp, clomp, clomp. She is. She is a small dog with just the heaviest paws I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> anyway, uh, you want to go read your first two haiku? Yes. Sweet pink tamales steaming out of their corn husk, dessert heritage. Sweet pink tamales steaming out of their corn husk, dessert heritage. Abelita melts. In masa and cinnamon, hot pan dulce dip. Abelita melts in masa and cinnamon, hot pan dulce dip. I'm very curious what a uh, what a pink tamale is because um, I am familiar with tamales. But I have never seen like dessert pink tamales. I'm used to um, in Texas. I mostly just saw the really. The, the savory tamales that you would have at dinner. So can you, I'm just very curious, what is a pink tamale? Oh, yes. Oh, uh, so there's obviously the savory ones I think most people are familiar with, mm-hmm. um, but there's also a branch of dessert tamales. Um, it can be a lot of different things. Some are, you know, kind of like corn-based. Um, the pink tamales is what I'm most familiar with. So the pink usually comes from a dyer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and it can have lots of different flavors. So it can have pineapple flavors in there. They can have raisins in there. Um, usually there's some cinnamon and things like that. Um, and it's very delicious. So I would definitely give them a try. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds um, that sounds delicious. And well, because I'm turning to the word heritage in the third line, um, mm-hmm. Uh, were was the making of tamales like a, a holiday tradition in your family um how does the heritage come in there yeah so for my heritage um i'm hispanic um my grandfather was born and raised in mexico um and part of our tradition it would kind of depend we'd have days where we would make uh traditional mexican food um typically that was enchiladas um when i was younger there would be things like tamales that were made um as my grandmother's health kind of went down, we didn't make those as much. Um, but a few years ago, um, I tried to surprise my grandpa during Christmas. Um, so I found a recipe online for pink tamales and I um, brought him in for that Christmas. And it was just really cool to see his reaction because he was like, I haven't had these since I was a kid back in Mexico. Um, and that was just really cool to bring something special um, for him because I know he misses his parents even after all this time. Um, so it's just great to have, I don't know, food and recipes bring a connection to the family, um, and link back my heritage for my ancestors, some that I, you know, met when I was a kid and some that I never met too. Yeah. And I think it's, um, food really does connect us in meaningful ways. And one of the things I think about a lot is how, so often sort of food cultures and what we might think of as traditional has had to change because mm-hmm. um, of availability ingredient of ingredients in a place where, um, you know, an immigrant community has set up. So I think like a lot about um, Tex-Mex food and how um, it's, 
it's Mexican, but it's different from interior Mexican, but it's not because it's um, not authentic. It's just, it's authentic to where it's from and where it's from. You couldn't get culantro, but you could get cilantro. Uh, you couldn't necessarily get crema, but you could get sour cream. You couldn't get the same cuts of meat or like beef or, um, or pork. And you just had to work with what you had. And so out of that, Mm -hmm. um, new traditions are born. And I think we like, I feel super lucky that we can live in a world where it is relatively easy to honestly, like get so many of the things you need, um, to make something that is a little more traditional and you can really give that to your parents or your grandparents. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely agree. We, um, we kind of refer to ourselves as Mexabillies for our, our mixed heritage. Uh, my grandmother, uh, she was uh, born and raised in Alabama. Um, so we would jokingly call ourselves Mexabillies because we have this kind of mixed culture and trying to balance um, you know, our Hispanic heritage, um, um, but also like the Southern heritage and Jewish heritage. And we have just lots of different heritages and things like that. So um, trying to find a balance and you do have that kind of fusion of cultures um, that comes together, um, not just in a person, but also in, in the food that we serve when we, you know, gather around and we meet for holidays or just whenever. I mean, even in the tamale itself, I haven't gotten to taste a Delta tamale yet, but um, a Delta tamale comes out of the deep south and what it, it uh, emerged out of what happened when um, uh, basically uh, black communities and, you know, sort of uh, Latinx communities uh merged and like so a whole like deep south tamale was born and uh, I look forward to eating one someday <laughs> that sounds great yes <laughs> me too <laughs> <laughs> the abuelita melts haiku I put those together because it was um it's a also a dessert poem <laughs> um yes. but it's so funny I I think I read it differently there's two ways to read this um and i think you have to know what uh abuelita means so um <laughs> abuelita the chocolate um mm-hmm. melting uh yeah. for those of y'all who don't know abuelita is a, a brand of chocolate uh for uh dips mexican hot chocolate things like that mm-hmm. um yeah. but abuelita is also the the word for grandmother so the first time i read this i actually pictured like your grandmother standing at the stove, melting, like, just melting things all together. Yes. Uh, So I took, like, a more grammatical standpoint, and I'm like, but that doesn't really make sense. Like, the cinnamon's not going to melt. So, like, (laughs) so um, (laughs) the first time I read it, I actually just, like, I actually pictured a grandmother (laughs) doing, uh, just actually melting, um, actually melting it when actually then I reread it I'm like oh no that's referring to the chocolate <laughs> well I kind of I kind of wanted to play for both too so one the abelia chocolate literally you know carefully melting and making sure you don't burn it and things like that but then also just I don't know the fusion between um my family the matriarchs and my family and how that love you know also blended in, into the food that they they created us um, it's very interesting because from my grandmother, you know, like I said, she was raised in the South, but she did most of the, the cooking and she learned, you know, the recipes and things like that. And she loved cooking and she did very great uh, cooking as well for lots of different things, whether it's tamales or enchiladas or things like that. Um, but it's just 
kind of like that blend between like her as a person, but then also, of course, the delicious chocolate too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is Avalita your, your uh, favorite uh, brand of chocolate? Um, I'm kind of torn. So Avalita is like owned like by Nestle. When I was looking it up and things like that, I was like, oh no, not Nestle. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is, I, it, I have that connection to which I think they do it on purpose because you have like I'm, that box with, you know, mm-hmm. you got the grandmother sitting on there and things like that. And I'm like, I do kind of connect it to my grandma um, and, uh, and the chocolate melt things too. So, and it is a, it is a good melting chocolate It is know, when you're making Mexican hot chocolate or for the recipe here is, you know, champarada, yeah. champarado, I should say. So I am, I'm partial to popular, um, but then I'm like, oh my God, am I even going to be able to get that in St. Louis where I live now? Like, you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's weird because first of all, St. Louis is like the intersection of the Midwest and the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I'm just like, I have, I, I, um, I love it here, but I also just have taken for granted, like, sure, I can get my, First of all, that I have a preferred brand of, of like Mexican melting chocolate, like <laughs> girl from Cleveland, uh, but that I've just taken for granted that that is a thing that I can easily get. And I'm like, oh, I might just like have to switch to Abuelita, which I mean, it's perfectly lovely, but you know, we all have our preferences. Yeah. Like, oh God, Abuelita might be just the only thing I can get here. Right. <laughs> As it is, it is hard to find my most favorite hot sauce, which is valentina and there's plenty of uh cholula around here so that's good but nice again i'm partial there's a, a hot sauce that has my namesake it's called uh, melinda's hot sauce and mm. i am a big fan of that so i'll have to look out for that yes all right do you want to uh, move on to your next two yes all right sweet pan de muerto tan conchas on a frenda pastries guide you home Sweet pan de muerto, tan conchas on ofrenda, pastries guide you home. Butternut squash soup, roasted with green pumpkin seeds, a warm harvest taste. Butternut squash soup, roasted with green pumpkin seeds, a warm harvest taste. And so many of your haiku really, you know, I, you know, I group these out, but they they really all just work together so well because there is so much of the um, the heritage in there. And I would just, um, I really appreciate that you um, use the actual Spanish uh, words for foods. Because what else would you use, right? Um, <laughs> um, but it can be, I think, especially in like really short poetry like haiku. Um, the challenge of occasionally having to write bilingually can really come up. Um, so um, how does, um, I'm actually, I am curious um, because my, my grandfather was first generation Italian um, and uh, he, I, he, I think he could, he never really spoke Italian. Like his, his parents would only speak Italian when they didn't want him to know what he was saying. Yes. Um, so like <laughs> I know all of the Italian words for foods, uh, but I don't really right. know the Italian words for many other things. Um, but I'm really curious, like um, was the Spanish language, and if this is too personal, you know, we can cut it. Or oh, whatever. no, you're good. But I'm always super curious, like how did uh, language show up like through your family? And was it like largely through food, which is really how it showed up for um 
for us, like I, my Italian pronunciation is great if I have to talk about pasta, but right. <laughs> <that> like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So yeah, it's a really interesting story. I think, um, I think a lot of immigrant families experience the same. So my, my grandmother, he came over and he came and lived in the region, Chicago area, um, when he was like 11 or 12. Um, and during that time, there was a big emphasis on blending in, um, and there was a big loss of heritage and also a loss of, of heritage that happened too. Um, and then for my mother and my aunts, they did not grow up speaking Spanish. Uh, the biggest focus is on speak English so we can blend in um, and that your English will sound really good too. Um, and then with that, there was a lot of loss as well. Um, so a lot of us learn Spanish through Spanish classes like in school. Um, but typically when Spanish was spoken, it would be something like you said, related to food um, specifically. Um, and that's how there was a little bit of that language that was kept there and that culture. But I do know for my generation, so for me and my sister, my cousins, they're trying to reclaim the language um, but also the culture that comes with that. And then also, you know, balancing, like I said, the rest of our, our heritage and grew up in, you know, the Midwest and Indiana and things like that. And how accessible things are um, has not always been true. I, there's a lot more stuff I see now for, you know, uh, you know, Day of the Dead, um, which I think is really cool. And it makes it more accessible that we can kind of connect with our community more as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, our, our grandparents and great grandparents did that because that's how you survived. Um, but I know I feel like my, my mother has sort of at times expressed something like akin to a real grief that she like feels sort of disconnected from, um, her, you know, her Italian-ness. Um, and I like, I often like feel that, you know, as well. Like I'd like to, I'd like to connect to my culture in ways that other than food, uh, <laughs> my family is super religious, so I don't have any like religious heritage to really connect to there either. Um, but it is, yeah, the available, just the availability of things even, um, for Italian cooking has changed a lot. Like I remember, um, you know, we always like my, my, I remember my grandfather would like make a vinaigrette dressing and there would be like fresh garlic and I remember like it being the 90s and like people were like oh garlic breath like they sell those special like mints so like you wouldn't have garlic breath and like garlic was the worst thing like that you could oh. eat and I'm just like <laughs> like that's weird and I'm you know I'm just one of those like I mean like my partner will easily put like a whole head of garlic in sauce yeah I, I uh, yes I'll put it yeah. with just whole clothes I will eat it yes <laughs> yeah and so you certainly like um I'd say, uh, you know, people of Italian ancestry have been considered white for a while and still at the same time, uh, like garlic was terrible. Um, and even thing like, I just remember like when you could get extra virgin olive oil, like in the suburbs, like we used to have to drive into Cleveland to the Italian grocery store where like, uh, you know, like the sons work there now, like own, it. they probably own it now. And like, they're like my age. And I'm like, oh, I've been like seeing you since like we were like gawky teenagers. <laughs> Uh, so tell me about your, um, well, what is your favorite way to make butternut squash soup? <laughs> there are so many Ooh, ways. That's a good question. Um, I'm really partial to things in my Instapot or in a slow cooker. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I really like 
putting everything in one pot. Mm -hmm. Um, It just makes cleanup easier. (laughs) Uh, Anything that involves that is great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's actually more of a a recent thing. Um, So my husband and I were really into gardening. Um, And we had this thing where we would just like, we'd see seeds like, oh, let's grow that. That sounds so cool. And then, you know, at the end of the season, you're, you have like a whole bunch of stuff and it's like, oh, okay. Now we need to figure out <laughs> lots of different ways to use zucchinis mm-hmm. um, or all these tomatoes, gallons of tomatoes uh, or butternut squash and things like that. So we've had to get creative and find different recipes online. So butternut squash soup, butternut squash, mac and cheese. Um, and then for zucchini, uh, it was funny when my parents would come over during the summer and I'd be like, Ooh, I made brownies and bread and stuff like that. And like, hold up, like what's in here? And like, is there, is there some vegetable on here? And I'm like, actually, yes, there's five. <laughs> I got to put them somewhere. So enjoy your zucchini brownies. So. <laughs> I mean, something about zucchini and chocolate is just, um, yes. uh, my partner's mother this week brought over a, uh, zucchini chocolate cake. And mm-hmm. ooh, like, and I, I'm not sure what the she hasn't sent me the recipe yet, but I, like, I think there was like ginger and molasses in there too because it tasted like a chocolate gingerbread cake in in a really interesting way. It was so good. Oh my gosh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, there's something about it. Yeah. It really, I don't think, I don't know. You think it wouldn't work because it's like kind of a stringy, you know, yeah. vegetable, but it really does. It adds a lot of moisture, but then also like texture yeah. as well. Yeah. So especially for, I mean, cakes and brownies and things like that, it just, it's so versatile. And then of course you can fry it up and it just works so well and everything. Because <laughs> if you plant it, you get, although I weirdly, the, the one year I had a vegetable garden, I got zero zucchini. You either get zero or more than you can handle. <laughs> that, that's what we had this year. So previous years, we usually have more than we can handle. And like, we're just like passing it out to neighbors and things like that. It's like, hey, you like this? You will now. Um, but this year we had a, a rough uh, start with our zook and it just, it produced one zucchini and then just literally died. I was like, okay. <laughs> Super, so, but it's yeah. it's hit or miss every year for the garden. Yeah. So you, one year everything's abundant and the next year it's like, okay, I did nothing different. So, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, the year that I had a vegetable garden, um, and I say just, it was just the one year I had a wildflower garden for years. And then in pandemic year, like everyone, I'm like, I guess I have a vegetable garden now. Um, <laughs> and then I, then my landlord sold the house I was in and I had to oh. move to an apartment anyway. And now we have a house that doesn't have a yard. Um, oh. and it's got a parking pad that we just, that's our like grilling patio spot. Um, right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not super sad that I don't have to like maintain a yard, honestly. That's um, true. But the you could always do container gardening or something. So. Yeah, I probably will. Cause I have like container plants. Um, but the year I had this garden, it was so hit or miss. Like I had so many, uh, like I had so many jalapenos that the guy who came to cut my lawn, he would all say, he would just like, can I take some? And I'm like, take, take as many as you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then like none of my other peppers w- worked at all. Uh, mm-hmm. I had so many Japanese eggplants. Um, I had a butternut squash that flowered and flowered and flowered, but no actual squashes. Uh, yes. I had one cucumber uh, and I was just like, what is happening? And um, <laughs> John, my partner who grew up on a farm, he's just like, he's like, look, you can do everything right. And some years it just, mm-hmm 
doesn't happen. It's kind of like writing poems, honestly. Like you can do all of the workshops and all of the drafts and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, definitely. I think there's some, I, I put them like in, like I call it like purgatory. So there's like a file I have on my computer that's like, you might be salvageable and I'm trying to like do CPR on them and things like that. And then they may end up in the graveyard. And I, I actually had that recently where I went through the graveyard. I'm like, I pulled a couple out and I was able to save them. And then some of them like, no, like you, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> any amount of workshopping can help you. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done that system with my haiku, my haiku yet with my more free verse poems. I'm definitely like a purger like and I and I know people who are just like how like no I could never do that but to me it's like I believe if a poem has not come together in five years it's not going to come together that's just <laughs> that's just me um yeah. and I haven't really been doing that with haiku uh since I got serious about it but now it's like I think once I get a little more settled like and I get my desk actually set up um which is going to be super exciting um I'm going to actually go and have that system and have like, and have that and like start just some of my haiku. I'm just like, you are, you're not going to work. So it's time to just, it's time to let you go. (laughs) Yes. Kill your darlings. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I'm not opposed to, um, I know some people, you know, again, it it goes both ways. Um, But for me, to me, there's, I find there's something creatively valuable and just saying, nope, just hit that delete key and like, let it go. And um, you know, it's a little three line poem. It's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily sacred. Um, and you know, just cause it's on your hard drive, I think there is something creatively freeing about just saying, you know what? Nope. Delete off my hard drive. I freed up, I don't know, five kilobytes or whatever, but that's like five, like fresh kilobytes for something else. Yes. Yeah. At what's old and with the new. Absolutely. Yeah. I am a, I have never for years I held on to stuff. And then when I first moved from Cleveland to Texas, I just purged all of my high school and college notebooks. And then I was like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, actually that was kind of great. And so I have, I have definitely been a creative purger ever since. Yes. I actually did something similar. I had a uh, not great sci-fi, like sci-fi fantasy uh, novel I was working on all throughout high school. It was, it was- <laughs> It was like a self-insert character and things like that. It was not great. Uh, And then I just, I got rid of it. It was like 200 pages and I just got rid of it. And people were like, what? You could salvage. I'm like, no, no. It was more just about the experience of of writing and and having fun and um, make way for better things. Most, I do mostly poetry, but a little bit of short fiction here and there. So in high school, I, I also, I mostly, I have always mostly written poetry, but in high school, I definitely had reams of handwritten friend fiction in a uh, one of those what five star notebooks <laughs> yes <laughs> super durable covers yes <laughs> yes yes I think it's a rite of passage you kind of have like that I don't know that teen cringy you know that fan fiction self-insert it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay yeah. this will never see the light of day <laughs> yeah. it's good it, I think it helps you get over yourself a little bit <laughs> Yeah, and the rest of life helps with that too. So, oh, so it, it does. Very humbling experience. Yes. <laughs> All right. Do you want to read your last two? Yes. Wood fire oven, sugar coated hot pecans, nutty smell of fall. Wood fire oven, sugar coated hot pecans, nutty smell of fall. 
Close and nutmeg in. A warm palate of apples. First autumn cider. Close and nutmeg in. A warm palate of apples. First autumn cider. Definitely bringing the uh, the fall vibes here. Um, I I love uh, sugared pecans uh, so much. <laughs> yes, I was actually I just we made both of these this week. Um, mm. we, I made sugar pecans. I was talking about how they have so many different names. People call them like oh toasted pecans or sugar pecans and lots of different names. I was like it's funny how there's so many different names for it because I I offered some to friends like oh it's this and like okay everyone's calling it something different. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah. Mm, do you have a wood-fired oven? No, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like your house, your your homeowner's insurance must be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely into the uh, the the homesteader vibe, but that's you know future goals. I'm kind, of, I picture myself, you know, with like long silver hair, kind of witchy, and I have like a wood fire grill or wood fire oven in the middle of nowhere, and a garden, and making medicines and things like that. That is my retirement goals so <laughs> my my reach well two two reach dreams that I don't think are ever going to materialize one is I always wanted a clawfoot bathtub um which I just don't think is going to work in my bathroom unfortunately <laughs> uh but you know it's a great house and you couldn't throw away the whole house on I will never be able to fit a clawfoot bathtub in here right. uh, that would not be a, that is not a reasonable decision to make <laughs> so fancy though <laughs> I know I mean honestly maybe I'll just get one as like furniture and just lounge in it and just fill it with pillows <laughs> and like honestly that's probably what that's that's probably what's gonna happen uh make it a reading nook or something really an idea like just, uh, <laughs> um but my my other thing is uh uh a dream of having one of those big outdoor brick pizza ovens oh yeah yeah yes <laughs> that is definitely just uh I don't know. So it's, it seems like it would make the pizza just taste so much better too. I believe it does. Oh yeah. When we were house hunting, um, in this, the first time we were in, in this visiting the neighborhood, we eventually ended up buying and we looked at a place that was just like, it's going to be too much work. Um, it's really cool, but it's going to be too, just too much work. The previous owner had just made some poor decisions, uh, trying to renovate it. And it's like, we're just going to have to undo all this. Ugh. Um, but across the street was another, there are a ton of mixed use buildings around here. So our, our duplex, actually, it, it's technically a mixed use building. It used to be like the first floor used to be a, a bar and a photography gallery oh. um, and other things. But uh, this first place we looked at, um, it was really cool, but we're just like, we, we don't want to live in a construction site. Um, but like just across the street was an old pizza restaurant that was up for sale. And it was, again, it was a mixed use building, but there was a big old pizza oven in the back. And I'm like, I want that. And it was like, it is $500,000. And I'm like, that is still a better value than a $500,000 house uh, in Austin where I used to live. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was like, I, I guess we can't spend $500,000 on a house <laughs> pizza oven. <laughs> or if we could, could. Yes. Yes. To be fair, I'm going to assume the, the house in Austin didn't have the big pizza oven either. So uh, no, <laughs> they were also <laughs> a th like a third the size of the house that we have for three times the price. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, it was, it was, it was sad anyway. Yeah. Um, I, in the, in the second haiku with the, the warm palette of apples, um, mm -hmm. I'm like, I love the word, uh, palette here because, um, I know that palette and palette are two different words. They're spelled differently. They mean different things, but they sound the same. 
And so like, you can think of palette, like the color palette, like in all of the, like the range of like green to red to like all of the colors of apples in between there. Some are a little more red, some are a little more green, some are golden. Um, I love a golden delicious apple. I think that's my favorite. Um, (laughs) We've got the whole like range of spectrum of colors of apples, but then we have like the, I can also think of like the palette of apples mm-hmm. um that like they all just like when they're like a whole bunch of them comes in like i think of at the um the orchard my parents used to take us to that where you could watch the big cider press operating and you would just see these like stacked palettes of apples <laughs> of oh, beautiful goodness. colorful apples in the fall ah uh, so there, there was like this this giant uh press that sounds amazing yeah i mean it was the whole thing was uh like a, it was a working apple orchard it was probably other like they probably had other stuff too but like it was a thing you could go you could pick apples you could go into the shop and there was a a a worker there with a giant apple peeler just like peeling 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 um and yeah you could you you couldn't couldn't literally go in the press room but it was like like in like where if you go into like i don't know like a brewery or something where you can like see into things and so you could actually see in and like um you could actually see them like pressing things out like on a big old-fashioned press and then you could look in and see where it was being made they can't let the populace in there because you know yes (laughs) but you could like you could see the whole process and it was uh so cool and I definitely cherish that and that's making me think that oh I'm back in a place where there are apples grow like I could probably get some decent apple cider again that's not a thing I've been able to get for the last couple decades (laughs) yeah Yes, that's a great thing about the Midwest. We have a um, a place we go to a you pick um, place, and it's an orchard. The unfortunately we can't see the press or anything they do. I know they make like their own applesauce, which is absolutely delicious, and they make a lot of different things on site. But it's um, it's just really cool to see the different varieties, and they have just some different stuff I don't see in stores. They have like a uh, King's David, and they have like a Jonathan, and they're just, oh yeah, I haven't seen those in forever. Those are great. <sighs> I know they're so good. They're so good and they're so sweet. Mm-hmm. And then um just like the different varieties too. Like I had um one of the grocery stores near us, they have like a no food waste um thing they do. So we got like just these huge uh boxes of apples and we had like some purple apples in there too. And my kids were like, um, they're like four and they're like, There's purple apples and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just really cool to have all the different tastes, but then all the the different colors that come out too, um, the different textures, the different tastes, and who who likes what kind of apple too. Oh so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So some of them are like, oh, my kids like Macintosh and things like that, and I'm like, oh, Golden Delicious is really good, and of course, you know, Jonathan, like I mentioned too. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming up on our um, on our half hour, but I do uh, before I ask you for any last thoughts, since we are talking about all the fall, uh, fall flavors and this is a food related pod- podcast uh are you a pumpkin pie person or are you an apple pie person oh de- <laughs> uh, definitely pumpkin pie i, I like the custard pies oh, yeah. i do like some fruit filled pil- filled pies and things like that but like apple pie is gonna be you know lower tier yeah. so i have like tiers when it comes to the the uh fruit pies so i'd say like blackberry pie is probably of yeah. the top and, and cherry pie cherry pie is pretty good but like esters when we like blackberry pies when it comes to fruit pie but overall custard pies yeah the way to go pumpkin pie hands down Absolutely. so hot cold whipped cream ice cream it's all good yeah so 
I was, it was such, especially in the, you know, more restrictive uh, pandemic years when it would just be me and my partner on Thanksgiving. And I love pumpkin pie. And he will just like, he's like, I'll eat a piece. And <laughs> so then I'm like, oh my God, okay. I'll make this whole pumpkin pie kind of just for me. <laughs> I mean, more for you though. So. <laughs> oh yeah, that is true. Um, my, uh, by the way, uh, my, my, uh, secret is if you, uh, and you can have a pre-made crust, you can make your own. It doesn't matter. But in the, before you pour the filling in, uh, mm-hmm. food process up some, um, pecans and some ginger snaps and like layer that in the crust in the Ooh. bottom and then pour the, the custard filling in. Love it. That is great. So then you have a, a season, yeah, some sort of. You got like a little like a gingery nutty crunch in the very bottom. Yes. Yeah. I, I love all the shenanigans you can do with with crust. I made a, a key lime pie, but I made the crust out of like uh, golden Oreos. Ooh. It was ridiculous, but it was really good. That, that sounds really good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, do you have any final thoughts on haiku, on food, on poetry in general that you would uh, like to share with the listeners today? Um, I don't necessarily think I have any uh, thoughts. I just appreciate being on and I just appreciate having um, the space to share one. I mean, writing about food is just, I mean, heavenly, one of the best, the best things ever, but especially with haiku. Um, and I just, I also like being able to have discuss in a very, you know, short framework, so many different layers of food, of, of recipes, of, of culture, of heritage and things like that. Um, and I want to see more writing of it. I want to see more people um, sharing their personal culture and heritage through, you know, haiku, mm-hmm. of course, but I mean, any other, you know, free verse or other writing style too. So I just want to encourage people to keep writing. Well, and if you, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, online journal Failed Haiku, but I think it was in March they did a whole food-themed issue. So I'll uh, try to remember to link to that in the show notes. Um, I had this whole goal of because I, the way I um, organized the like the blog part of this project is I read journals and like I type up haiku and I and I uh, categorize it Um, and. uh, Someday I'm like, I'm going to transcribe all of that uh, journal, all that, that whole food issue. And I'm like, I have not had time to sit down and transcribe the whole failed haiku food issue yet. Yes. <laughs> but everyone should read it. It's fantastic. Yes. I would love to check it out. Yeah. I'll try to link to it. I just have to remember what month it was published in. 2021. Wait, it's 2023. 2023 has been a crazy year. <laughs> Oh, you're a year ahead. It's 2022 still. Oh my God. Is it only 2022? (laughs) (laughs) I don't really exist in time. (laughs) You are a time lord that's been confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) I think my uh, my 2023 planner arrived yesterday because, you know, I have to, I'm one of the, I got to think about my planners ahead of time. So I think I'm like, it's clearly already 2023. I feel like this is what, like a time traveler would tell us and want us to think. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. And uh, yeah, this was a lovely way to spend part of my Saturday. Well, wonderful. I really appreciate you having me to get as a guest, and um, I'm just honored to be here. So, thank you. Thanks again to M.A. Dubs for joining me on the podcast. 
And I forgot to mention in the intro that you first heard her on the podcast on our uh, bonus episode uh, a few weeks back. So if you haven't heard that, that is uh, that was a really fun little mini bonus episode to put together. And you should definitely go check it out and hear her uh, other work. All right. Uh, next episode is November 1st with my friend Peter Schmidt. I recorded him and MA and MA on the same day, and uh, so I actually sort of feel like a lot of there's a lot of dovetail between these conversations that you will hear, and I hope you enjoy that. Uh, after that, I have one more guest definitely booked. It's going to be a great episode. I won't say who it is till after I record it, and I'm hoping to get one more person. Um, set up. I've reached out to them and I'm just waiting for them to get back to me. And, um, so I will have episodes, uh, through, I think the end of November or the first week of December. And then I'm going to take the last bit of the year off. So we have, uh, after this episode that I'm recording right now, we'll have, uh, hopefully three more and, uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Again, if you want to support the show, you can buy me a coffee or share this uh, with whoever you think might like it. And no matter what, thank you for listening.